I need to set the scene for those who listen online. It's what? Zero degrees exactly? I had one, one below. You had one below. Okay. My car may not go. And it is snowing heavily and we've got some good snow, but we are here. We have, we have made it. We've shown up um, and good for us and, and praise God for our safety and getting here. Just a reminder that I want to go ahead and record for those who, who couldn't make it here this morning on Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. We start the Lenten season. 40 days, 46 if you count Sundays until Resurrection Sunday, obviously Easter. And the purpose of the Lent season is to prepare ourselves for the resurrection, for the salvation, for the good news of, of the gift of grace. And Ash Wednesday is uh, a symbolic start to that. And there's a purpose to the 40 days as are a lot of numbers used in Scripture. We're going we're gonna to talk about this in a couple weeks, the, the power of the numbers of 7 and 40 and, and things like that. But 40 days was how long Jesus was um, tempted in the wilderness. 40 days... Um, was often uh, a number that was that was used to reference um, many things in, in scripture, and so it's a forty days is, is what we use for Lent as we prepare ourselves, and and we'll talk about that again on Wednesday at seven o'clock if you want to dial in for that. But this this morning we're going to talk about a message I titled "Written for This Day." We're going to talk about the the relevance of scripture. And as the songs in, in this morning scripture, remember, have implied, we're talking about the Bible when we say God's word. And there are some iconic opening lines in literature and cinema. And let's see how many you recognize. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of, volume of forgotten lore. Right? Edgar Allan Poe, the raven. It was a bright, cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. 1984, George Orwell. Okay. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yep. Dickens, Tale of Two Cities. I do remember that one from high school. How about this one for the movie buffs? It was the summer of 1963 when everybody called me baby and it didn't occur to me to mind. It was before Kennedy got shot before the Beatles when I wanted to join the Peace Corps and I didn't think I'd ever find a guy as great as my dad. Really? Dirty dancing. I, I said it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be really upset if you don't know this one. Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. Jeez. But anyway, great opening lines set the stage, right? They capture the moment in time. They grab your attention they, or your imagination. They put you in that scene, right? You can almost imagine being there with this. And, and what about this one? Once upon a time, right? The traditional once upon a time. Or the legendary, long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Sherry has no idea that Star Wars. Don't say Star Trek. I'm going to be so hurt. <laughs> but what about this one? This really important one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now that's an opening line. And this message... This morning isn't about creation, and we aren't going to take time to contrast the Bible to the fictional works of mankind. But this morning, we're going to talk about the timeliness and timelessness of God's word. And we're going to reveal why it isn't once upon a time, but rather it was written once and for all time. In fact, it was the Apostle Peter who reminds us that the word of the Lord endures forever. And he continues, and this is the word that was preached to you. It's from 1 Peter 1.25. 
And other translations use other words to describe the enduring nature of God's word. Words like the word of the Lord remains. The word of the Lord abides. It lasts. It lives. In fact, as the Apostle Paul declares in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and active. Alive and active. And he often testified to this in his letters to the early churches throughout the region. And to those in Thessalonica, he wrote, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, he says, you accepted it not as a human word, but as, as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. And I want to pause here for a moment and speak to a part of Paul's statement. Many Christians assume that the Bible is a record of God speaking directly to the writers and saying, write this down, write this down. And that is not what the Bible is. It, in fact, the Bible itself says it this way, and you've heard this many times from 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. It says, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So there's the purpose. And it goes on, and this is the part you remember. All scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We reference this a lot. But in its own word, the Bible is not God dictated. It is, however, God breathed, God given, divinely inspired, it is a written record of real people like you and me responding to real events. It is the history and promise of God's relationship with mankind and how it works in the lives of real people. It includes all the dynamics of a relationship, the, the joyful moments and tragic moments. It includes all the drama you'll find in any relationship, love, hate, envy, murder, all these things. Sunday morning quiz here, Sunday school quiz. What do you call the two collections of the books in the Bible? The Old Testament and the New Testament. Did you catch that word? The word is testament. The testament is the testimony as to what our relationship with God has looked like over many centuries. It is, it is a testament of how God related to specific people in order to bless everyone. It is the testament of how God revealed himself through Jesus and how that humane connection played out in the lives of real people just like us. Another pastor describes it this way. He says, the scriptures were written by people responding to various and specific events and circumstances. But God is in it, ensuring the testimony not be wrong. What is written passes through the minds of the writers, yes, but it comes from the heart of God. And that's what it means to be God-breathed. But that being said, we can't separate the two. In, in John 1, 1, we find these familiar words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God's Word can't be apart from God himself. They are the same. God lives. God is relevant. Just like God's Word is alive, and just like Paul described, the Word is active and alive, and God's Word remains relevant. And that's because it is still needed. Do you remember the parts and descriptions of the armor of God from Ephesians 6, 17? I skip ahead. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this echoes the continuation of Hebrews 4, 12, which we started earlier. It says the word of God is alive and active. And it goes on. He says, sharper than a double-edged sword. Now there's the sword reference. It says it penetrates even by dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
And this describes a tool that exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It, it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, that can make you feel good or it can make you feel a little bad. But if you desire to be intentional in your relationship with God and your walk with Christ, doesn't that sound like something you should be familiar with? The tool that discerns what's right, what's true in your intentions. In the book of Acts, which tells a story of early churches, we find these words, chapter 17, verse 11. It says, now the Berean Jews were of very noble character, more noble character than those of Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And this letter refers to those in Thessalonica, which we, we heard Paul praise earlier, right? He said, we thank God continually because you received the word, which you accepted, right? That's what he's talking about. He's saying, Paul is telling the Berean Jews that they were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Now, why did he do that? He said, because they received the message with great eagerness and and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Clearly, he was pleased that they were listening and applying the messages they'd heard, but they were also examining the scriptures every day. <coughs> Friends, we need to read God's word. We know that. And I want to assure you that it is okay to question things, but seek the answers to your scripture in the places that the answers can be found. Examine the scripture, right? Open book exam, remember? Ask God himself to reveal it to you through wisdom as you read his word. You know, I'd, I'd like to think that you should read the Bible with both eyes open to get the full story. Seek the intended message written for you. You may read a, a verse at one time and it means something and you may read it later in life or in a different circumstance in your life and it has a completely different meaning because God has a different message for you now because you would understand and you could relate. And I want to encourage you to start your Bible study, your devotion time with a prayer that asks for wisdom. Say, God, what is it you want me to hear from you today? I love this blessing found in Luke 24, 45. He said, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. What? God speaks? You better believe he does. Now do something with what he's saying. <coughs> James 1, 21 through 23 says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, Right? there dig it out it says which can save you do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says this isn't a once upon a time story written for your entertainment the book is meant to be more than just read is to be understood applied in full so that you can live your life in full Jesus himself often quoted God's word in Matthew 4 4 we find him referencing Deuteronomy 8 3 this wasn't unlike Jesus to quote Old Testament scripture. But here he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This proves the validity and relevance of the Testaments. If Jesus needs to be familiar with it and understand it and call upon the words, how much more do you and I need to do that? And the statement originally from God repeated by our Savior promises that God's word gives life, a spiritual life. Man cannot live on bread alone. And Job, who, who it says God favored, Job knew this, and he said it this way. He says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. He understood what was truly important. And then the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, we find Jesus teaching, a, and a woman moved by the words she hears calls out. It says, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Well, what a compliment, Right? 
Blessed is the mother that gave you birth. And Jesus says this in verse 28. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. He's saying, yeah, but this is more important. You say, what kind of blessing? Well, you should read and discover for yourself what God has intended for you. It's not a bait and switch. I'm not trying to, you know, I, I know and I'm not telling you. I mean, God has a specific plan and a purpose and a blessing just for you. And, and I'd be honored to help you seek it, but yours is different than mine. And that is so cool. So what about these modern books, these devotionals, these study guides, the paraphrases? What, what do we do with that? You know, Revelations twenty two nineteen says, if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from the person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in the scroll. Now that's really harsh, right? And since this is God's words, we, we can believe it to be true. We dare not tamper with the word. But it's important you understand the difference between God's word as found in the Bible and an author's commentaries about it and in opinions on life in general. And it's important that you're familiar enough with God's will through scripture that you can hold up any thought or statement made by yourself or others against it and confidently answer the question, does this align with what the Bible says about God? You should be asking yourself the same question about the words that I share with you on a Sunday morning or Wednesday. Is what he's saying aligned with what God says? I study God's word and I cite it and reference scripture, but I am I'm accountable for the accuracy and validity of the messages I share. We all are. And likewise, if you found a book or devotion or study guide that helps you understand and apply God's actual word as recorded in the Bible, good for you, sincerely. There are wonderful tools out there to help you navigate God's word and intended message. And you can, if you're a reference person, you can, you can use concordances to say, what does this word mean? Where can I find the Bible? And put it together. I love it. Just remember that all these things should reference and include his word. And more importantly, they should point you to him. They should always point you to him. Now, at the start of this message, I told you we're going to reveal why it isn't once upon a time. Rather, it was written once and for all time. And in the true timeliness of the Bible is threefold. First, the Bible is full of insight into the human condition. Just as true today as when it was written, David was struggling with lust. We still struggle with lust. Noah was tormented with, by the opinions of others. You know, people saying that you're a fool. Don't we worry about what other people think? Paul became, was being convicted of, of being wrong. He had spent most of his life pursuing something so passionately and just to find out that wasn't the right thing. Don't we sometimes do that? Jonah struggled with obedience. Don't we want to kind of do things our way? And the Israelites being anxious about where they were being led and facing impatience and distractions along the way. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can relate to one or more of these. And it's been said that the Bible does a better job of capturing the human condition than any psychology textbook. You're facing a struggle. Someone's already faced it. Let's see what they did with it. Let's see how God was with them through it. Second, to better know God is the entire purpose of Scripture. It's how we get to know and establish a personal relationship with the holiness of God. And third, God doesn't change. God created man and called it good. You are good and God is pleased that he made you so. God made a covenant promise. And throughout scripture, we find God's promise to provide for us, to protect us, and to love us. And we still thank him for that today. 
God gave instructions for living. Now, technology may have changed, but our core needs and our constant battle with temptation and sin has not changed. God sent his son. God wants to connect with us on a personal level. That wasn't just the people he came along with while he was on this earth teaching those years. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus' final words, tetelestai, you remember that? Which is a perfect verb indicating that it is finished. And by perfect verb, it means it is not just finished once and for all, but it is finished, ongoing, over and over, without ceasing. That is still at work. It is still finished today. And we found a new covenant was made. And Jesus was an atoning sacrifice, as Scripture says, for all people, for all time. Still relevant. And a new commandment was given. And we were called to follow this, con- con- this commandment, to love others, to love God first, to love others, right? Like, our, like ourselves. And, and what? To share the good news of the gospel. So as you read Bible verses for yourself, claim their truth and promise over your life. It's okay to say, God, I see what you did for this person. I want you to do that for me. Whether it's a blessing or a freedom from addiction, deliverance from sin or evil, a financial provision, it's okay. Hope for loss or hurting family and friends, overcoming depression, recovering a marriage, good health, healing, being free from fear and anxiety, strength, Many more blessings and gifts that God promised to provide for those who believe in him. It's okay to ask. Was there something on that list you needed to get from God this morning? Ask for it. Claim it. He wants to do that for you. And I, I, I know that he does because I've read the promise and he put it in writing. Have you read it? But as I conclude, I want to share with you an article written by Billy Graham. Someone had asked this question. I love this. It says, I respect the Bible and I suppose it has things to teach us, but isn't it kind of out of date since it talks about people who lived a very long time ago? At least that's what it seems to me whenever I've tried to read it. It's a fair question. Reverend Graham replied, he says, I'm thankful you've at least tried to read the Bible. Amen, right? Even if it hasn't meant much to you so far, too many people, I'm afraid, dismiss the Bible without ever opening it. And as a result, they miss the greatest message anyone could ever discover. Yes, the Bible does speak of people and events from long ago, and you may wonder what they possibly could mean to us today, but this doesn't make the Bible outdated, not at all. The reason is because the Bible tells us about things that are eternal and will never change. It tells us, first of all, about God who never changes. From the first verse in Genesis to the final verse in Revelation, God reveals to us what he is like and what he does for us because of his love. And he continues, he says, the Bible also tells us about human nature and that too never changes. In some ways, we may know more people than people who lived in more. In some ways, we may know more than people who lived thousands of years ago, but in our hearts, we're still the same. And they just, just as they needed God, we need him too. And most of all, he concludes, the Bible tells us about Jesus Christ who came from heaven to save us from our sins and give us hope and new life. Begin your journey of faith today by asking him to come into your life. You'll be glad you did because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, as he's quoting Hebrews. I love that. What a great, honest question and what a great, comprehensive answer, right? And I love that. You started to read. Good for you. But here's why. And in some right, the scriptures were not written just to us, but they were written and collected and kept 
for us. The Bible is an accurate testament. We use that word, right? Testament, testimony to God's relationship with us over many centuries, a relationship that continues on to this day and for our generations that follow. And those who reject the Bible as irrelevant say the Bible no longer fits our culture. And I suggest that it's our culture that has rejected the principles of the Bible. And the best way to counter those who say that is to live the truth and, and, and follow God's word and just do that in front of them. Love them, share your faith with them and pray for them. And I read this advice from an author who wrote, the best way to make God's word relevant to unbelievers is to live it in front of them. And I challenge you to do that. I'm gonna conclude with this question. Will there ever be a point when the Bible is no longer needed, when it isn't relevant? Well, here's what I think. And this is what I think it would take for that, for that to matter. Everyone becomes pure, sinless, and absolutely obedient to God's word and will, right? And, and we are directly in the presence of God himself and no longer need to read because we can ask him and we can listen in person to what he says. Doesn't that sound wonderful? That is heaven. Literally, that is heaven. And I plan to see you there. That's the day. Let's pray. Father God, you are amazing. Amazing. And I love that you wrote this book for us. You may not have sat down and, and put it in pencil yourself, but you inspired so many people, so many lives that recorded history and human nature, more importantly, accounts of your love, a love that exists for each of us today, promises that we can apply to our lives. And just as you spoke to Jeremiah and other prophets and said, this is what I'm gonna do, we can count on those promises today. We can claim them. In fact, you wait patiently for us to say, God, I need your help. I have this problem, I have this addiction, I have this fear, I have this issue with forgiveness. Lord, I need you. And you say, okay, okay, I'm here. We're gonna work on this together. God, I, it's okay to ask questions, to wonder, how can this be? It's so amazing, so miraculous. I even have trouble finding ways to love myself, but you love me and you know more about me than I do. How can that be? Lord, thank you for giving us a place to find that answer. Help us to apply your word to our lives and to demonstrate in our lives to those around us. Lord, what an amazing, amazing place it'll be when we all get this right. And we look forward to that day. But while we're here on earth, help us to live according to your will, to follow the, the teachings of your son, Jesus Christ, and to claim the promises you put before us. In your name I pray. Amen.